Chapter 8, Healthcare. Too many good docs are getting out of business. Too many OBGYNs aren't able to practice their, their love with women all across this country. George W. Bush. When the American government got involved in health care, costs rose. Basic health care has become incredibly expensive for the average working person not considered poor enough to qualify for government support. Even the free health care offered by Medicare and Medicaid costs plenty in taxes and inflation, because when the government pays, prices get jacked up. The biggest difference between American health care and that which is offered throughout the rest of the world is the cost of procedures involved. There seems to be an assumption that people in countries with universal health care must also pay way more in taxes to cover the cost. The sad truth is that America not only spends more tax money per capita to pay for what incomplete coverage is offered, but that private expenditures on health care, in other words, employee-sponsored health care plans, is now five times to six times more than anywhere else in the world. The U.S. citizenry is paying higher health care prices for the privilege of getting less coverage than what can be had in much poorer countries. America's system is a convoluted one, where for-profit, publicly traded insurance companies are in charge of covering an individual's health care cost. It's the fair market turned upside down. Since an insurance company loses money if you get sick or hurt, it is in their best interest to charge healthy people as much as they possibly can then find excuses to short, if not outright drop, coverage for those who actually need it. It is not as if market forces can properly function when a patient finds himself in an emergency room. What resources do they have? Do they have the luxury of choice to say, hold on, I'd like to go see this other emergency room over here instead? Instead of shopping around for the cheapest, best provider for the public good, the U.S. government has invested in a system where whoever provides the best kickbacks for government officials, regardless of the cost, wins. Instead of allowing cheaper generic drugs, customers are forced to buy brand name. Patents on many drugs are now reissued so long as enough insignificant tweaks in the formula have been made to qualify them as new. Think about it. Why are prescription drugs advertised on TV in the first place? Shouldn't a doctor be deciding what to prescribe you based on your symptoms? The patient should not be encouraged to ask their doctor for a particular drug based on its slick commercial. The bottom line is the bottom line, which is all that matters. It's a business that exists to make money. From the market's standpoint, your recovery is simply optimal outcome, not a requirement. In 2003, for example, Congress passed a bill the Medicare Prescription Drug Improvement and Modernization Act, which prevented the Medicare program from negotiating prices with drug companies in order to lower the cost of drugs. This is regulatory capture. The free market was preempted by the corporate favoritism in the guise of government regulation. It's highly likely that Big Pharma wrote the regulation itself. Whether Medicare intended to do its best to negotiate lower prices on behalf of the customers or not, the bill renders such speculation a moot point. Before the time when the government got involved in the medical industry, we did not have the need for so many publicly sponsored programs because what was already available was actually affordable. It didn't cost hundreds or thousands of dollars for a single visit to the hospital. Patients could pay their bill out of pocket. 
No one was tossed out into the street for inadequate insurance. Young people didn't avoid medical attention for serious injuries or illnesses because they were afraid of a spike in their health care insurance premiums or worse, because they didn't have health insurance in the first place because it's unaffordable. Of course, as of 2014, we all get to pay for health care insurance, whether we can afford to or not, thanks to the passage of the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare as it is popularly known, is little more than the imposition of an annual interest-free loan on behalf of the insurance companies to be later partly compensated by the government when the bill comes due. Despite the government's intent to offer coverage for all by passing the ACA, millions of people still find themselves without it. The problem is, insurance really isn't the way we ought to be doing things in the first place. There are dozens of functional, state-level healthcare systems that don't rely on insurance companies all around the U.S., and which the government refuses to copy. Then there's Canada, which is often held up by the anti-universal healthcare advocates as the prime example of just how bad a public system can be. They neglect to mention that a portion of the problem is all the Americans willing to jump across the border and to enjoy that free care without paying into the system. And what about the systems that exist in Taiwan, Japan, France, and so on? There are plenty of working healthcare systems that could be learned from. So why does health insurance remain so expensive? It's expensive because of government protectionism. Under the new system, you can't cross state lines to buy insurance, which eliminates open competition. You also can't buy generic drugs or shop for prescription drugs overseas. And the government still has done nothing to address the core problem, the high cost of procedures. Everything remains so expensive because of the state. The only reason people on the bottom need the state's help to afford care is because the state made it unaffordable in the first place. It has crippled the concept of universal health care in the same way it has the free market. We know this because the market system was actually working in the U.S. prior to all the government meddling. But now, the U.S. has neither. We now have the worst health care system in the industrialized world, bar none. Medical bills are the number one cause of debt in the United States, even more than housing. People are literally dying or going bankrupt thanks to our health care system. Just imagine if insurance paid for groceries. Everyone would buy steaks instead of hamburgers. Prices would skyrocket. The same is true for health care. It is also interesting to witness the rise in the variety and number of required vaccines from country to country. While vaccinations are a necessary medical advancement and a benefit to society, that does not mean that every vaccination that is required, in other words sold, to the public is done so out of the concern for their health. There is the possibility that some vaccines and shots could be sold more for profit than for the public good. There's also the problem that even doctors and researchers with the best intentions can screw up. However, with the large financial risk posed by the class action lawsuits, it is safe to assume that the medical industrial complex might consider it better to deny everything that can be and then quietly change the problem product. There was a study that claimed that some of the metals used in vaccines could cause autism. Scientifically, I don't have a position on this. Politically, however, I think it's safe to say that if there were such a case, the industry would and could cover it up. History has plenty of accounts of similar, equally horrifying cover-ups. Everything from secret human testing, the selling of blood known to be infected with HIV, 
and the secret sterilization of American Indians has been conducted under the watchful smile of government. The Department of Defense has even used their own soldiers as guinea pigs, a portion of, the, of a Senate report, which is footnoted. Findings and Conclusions A. For the last 50 years, the Department of Defense has intentionally exposed military personnel to potentially dangerous substances, often in secret. B. The Department of Defense has repeatedly failed to comply with the regular ethical standards when using human subjects in military research during war or threat of war. D. The DOD incorrectly claims that since their goal was treatment, the use of investigational drugs in the Persian Gulf War was not research. J. Army regulations exempt informed consent for volunteers in some types of military research. K. The DOD and the DVA, that's the Department of Veteran Affairs, have repeatedly failed to provide information of a medical follow-up to those who participate in military research or are ordered to take investigational drugs. L. The federal government has failed to support scientific studies that provide information about the reproductive problems experienced by veterans who were intentionally exposed to potentially dangerous substances. M. The federal government has failed to support scientific studies that provide timely information for compensation decisions regarding military personnel who are harmed by various exposures. And participation in military research is rarely included in military and medical records, making it impossible to support a veteran's claim for service-connected disabilities from military research. Oh, the Department of Defense has demonstrated the pattern of misrepresenting the dangers of various military exposures that continues today. The United States Public Health Service once infected Guatemalans with STDs for the chance to test out antibiotics. In the Tuskegee experiment, the government knowingly gave 399 African-American men syphilis and watched them die. So one shouldn't be worried about sounding crazy for questioning the safety of what's in a syringe. We are never going to have a healthy society so long as sickness remains a profit opportunity, something which doesn't help alleviate people's doubts about the motives behind selling vaccines. It would be an overreaction to reject them all out of hand, for there are actually harmful diseases which can be prevented by vaccination. The problem is that the for-profit medical industry complex isn't above exaggerating the seriousness of a disease to incite public fear just to push a vaccination or medication that isn't really necessary. After all, the consumer cannot really say no. The knowledge available to the average consumer as to which medicine they should have is not as comprehensive as, say, the knowledge they need to buy a pair of shoes. So they put their trust in authority figures to advise them for their purchases. This is why a free market solution absence of an education in these matters simply cannot work. Take the example of hepatitis C. This is a sexually transmitted disease. Do we really need to be pushing that on babies? Couldn't they decide to take this shot when they're older? Every few years a new scare crops up in the media. Be it West Nile virus, mad cow disease, SARS, bird flu, pig flu, the new pig flu, or the pig flu spelled out with fancy letters and numbers combinations like H1N1. It's shocking how such impressive sounding threats manage to ellipse the severity of the regular flu, which kills more per people per year than all of the others combined, and that by several orders of magnitude. When it comes to over-prescribing medicine, though, those associated with mental health issues are the clear winner. The largest number of these are those used to treat hyperactive disorders and depression, neither of which has a straightforward viable test for diagnosis. 
Mental disorders exist and should be treated, but that does not mean every person diagnosed with a chemical imbalance actually has one. And even if they do, there is no guarantee that by simply dosing them up with pills, it will make any difference. Depression, for instance, can be the perfectly rational response of an intelligent person who has become aware of the incredible level of stupidity pervasive in our society. Gifted young people especially may find themselves intellectually isolated or worse, ridiculed for their inquisitiveness and critical thinking. Likewise, a kid who has trouble paying attention in school could very well be inattentive because they are frustrated with being forced to sit and listen to boring, impractical, pseudo-academic indoctrination for hours a day. They are graded not on their comprehension, but on their willingness to show obedience and their ability to memorize what they need to produce the proper answers for a test. Two weeks later, they probably won't remember any of it, nor will they have to. Having such an awareness of just how little their hours spent in school actually count can't have the best effect on their ability to focus. I have been both a student and a teacher. I have taught school at all levels from elementary to college, which has given me a good insight into the system as a whole. I believe the only thing wrong with many students is that they have been indoctrinated to believe that their life and future occupation hinges upon the ability to complete meaningless tasks, whether it be a standardized test or the busy work that passes as homework nowadays. They live in fear that just one bad day of one bad test has the potential to screw up their whole future. That's an extreme level of stress for a young person to have to carry around. It's even harder on those who can recognize that, by and large, they are not being taught enough usable skills to justify the number of hours they are being forced to put in. Before doping up people who react negatively to their environment, why not first check the healthiness of that environment? When around a fourth of the population, and in some age brackets up to a third, are suffering from some sort of depression, Maybe it's not the people themselves that are messed up. Maybe it's the society they live in that needs a change. Another critical issue that needs to be addressed is the drain on the system caused by granting illegal immigrants access to public health care. Left unchecked, such permissiveness may act as a beacon to attract even more illegal immigrants willing to take advantage of the system. I support the notion that the process to become a naturalized citizen needs to be made easier and faster, but at the same time, the laws that exist to stop illegal immigration need to be properly enforced. Illegal is illegal. Those laws exist to prevent publicly subsidized exploitation of critical services intended for American citizens. We cannot afford to ignore the issue merely out of fear that it might be labeled as prejudiced. And while illegal immigration does create problems for health care, it pales in comparison to the overall burden imposed on the general public created by inflated procedure costs, bad regulations, and the influence of insurance and pharmaceutical lobbies on the government. By comparison, the effect of illegal immigration on the system is an insignificant fraction of the larger problem. Seeking out new taxes to prop up overpriced industries is not a solution. We need to deregulate the bad regulations which corporations have used as regulatory capture to benefit themselves. We need to allow the free market to have open competition to drive down the prices of drugs and procedures, as well as insurance. Even, uni even universal health care will not work. It will fail until we address the underlying causes and protections that keep prices so high.